0: This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare.
1: Hi, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital, DeSoto.
2: And hey, everyone. I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system.
0: Well, today we are so honored to have a very good friend of mine. I've been friends for many, many years. Uh, Dr. Charles Haygood uh, that works for Press Ganey and Charles, if you would tell us a little bit about your background. And obviously, I just told everyone you work at Press Ganey, but a little bit about what you
3: do there. Yeah, Thanks, Skip. It's quite an honor to be here today with with you, Skip. And as you said, we go way back and it's uh, just been an honor to to collaborate with you over many years. And what a privilege it is to to spend some time with Dr. Lancaster and Dr. Mason as well. we we need more physicians in in healthcare like you guys, uh, you know, making a difference and embracing these concepts to make healthcare better, safer, and higher quality and more efficient. So it's it's great to spend some time with you guys. Yeah, I'm the president of Strategic Consulting and our Transformational Solutions Group at Press Ganey. A lot of people think of Press Ganey as a survey company or they had for many years. And in recent years, we've transformed our organization just as many healthcare organizations have as well into an organization that's redefined patient experience to be uh, the 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 result of a safe patient experience of a high quality patient experience, one that engages the workforce and one that's efficient. And so the, the idea of uh, Patient experience being happy patients uh, is a misnomer. Uh, I don't know too many people that are happy to be a patient in, in any regard. So exactly. we, 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 we understood many years ago that we needed to redefine ourselves uh, to, to meet a broader definition of patient experience. So today we have a wide range of solutions. Our consulting group uh, works throughout the US and in, including the Middle East and done work in throughout North America as well and providing safety consulting solutions, uh, which we consider to be of the most importance. We provide quality consulting, clinical improvement, consulting, operational consulting, workforce engagement, consulting, and of course, patient experience consulting. So that's a little bit about uh, our organization as it stands today. And it, we're moving into the payer space, not just the provider space, but moving forward as those lines blur between the provider and the payer. We recognize that we need to work across uh, across both lines versus just in the provider space alone.
1: Yeah, Charles, uh, once again, thank you for being here. And and you know, most of us physicians, when we think of when we think of Prescani, we think of, you know, HCAPS, uh, the HCAP survey that gets sent out. And I I, you know, I guess you guys are probably the the biggest vendor that CMS contracts with to, to get that, that survey out. But it sounds like you guys are are doing a ton more with uh, improvement in quality, safety, and, and everything that that uh, deals with healthcare. And you know what what I know you, you wrote the book called Lean uh, Lead Led Hospital Design. And and I I, I I think that's very interesting and and you know as you were how has it the design of hospitals changed throughout the years and, and, and what what how are hospitals looking different? You know, not not only operating different but 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 looking different.
3: How how has that changed? Yeah it's an interesting question, Doctor Mason you know when I came into healthcare a number of years ago, I came from the industrial sector and at that time I owned a Engineering company, and we worked predominantly with manufacturers and distribution centers. And then shortly thereafter, given we were moving a lot of facilities, we were asked more and more to participate in the design. So ultimately, uh, me and another individual uh, began uh, a uh, began uh, developing a architectural firm, which ultimately did become an architectural firm. And through that, you know, we observed that. Healthcare organizations, you know, were going about the designing of their facilities totally different, but we were focused on the industrial sector where you would always begin with the process in mind, and then you would wrap the physical environment around it. But the process was at the epicenter. But in healthcare, it was totally different. It was mostly about the aesthetics and then designing your next facility in the same way that the architect had designed the last 20. <laughs> and then many times that's how you chose your architect. And so uh, in moving into the architecture space and healthcare, care, you know, moving the attention toward the process and uh, the physical environment, knowing that also impacts the patient experience, was, was a tough transition for many organizations. So research proves that the physical environment does promote healing. It does promote uh, better care when it's designed in an efficient way. It certainly makes the right work easier to do for the caregiver, which is a paramount importance but too many times the the facilities were not designed around the process as we had seen in other industries and so in recent years it's been really exciting for me to see organizations turn their attention toward a more process and physical environment oriented design that promotes healing and a better patient experience versus uh, one that's just focused on aesthetics alone. So it's been exciting. I mean, now I, I would say that eight out of ten RFPs that are issued by healthcare providers today will include some criteria around lean lead design or something that looks very similar to it. So having been a part of that, it's been really exciting to see up close.
2: That's really interesting. You know, just the I guess the aspects of hospital design. I haven't seen it change a ton. I, I think I mainly I've only been working in old hospitals, but you know, some of the things I see from the technology side as, as big needs are, you know, obviously more patients are coming in with cell phones. We have more medically connected devices, but the medical grid wireless and the infrastructure to support all those devices haven't really seemed to have kept up as, as well as maybe in other industries or other places you would go visit. Um, and then, you know, recently with the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, there's a, a large emphasis that's going into better air quality and filtration systems. Um, do you have any any thoughts or, or any, um, you know, takes from your book that or
3: that uh, would
2: address any of those?
3: You know, it was interesting in the early days of the pandemic, I began receiving calls from organizations uh, about the need to, design their facilities moving forward in a way that's more flexible and adaptable uh, in, a, in a more rapid fashion than maybe they had thought about in the past. You know, they were turning waiting rooms into to patient care rooms. They were turning the, you know, nursing, uh, you know, the, the nursing center into or the nursing uh, units into uh, you know, patient rooms. And so in conference rooms into patient rooms as well. And so, you know, moving forward, I think we're going to see healthcare organizations think completely different about how they design their facilities. I think the pandemic has taught has taught the provider that we need our healthcare facilities to be more adaptable, to be more flexible. I think we were, do, we're doing better in regards to making them more efficient and better for the patient, but we have not necessarily uh, moved far enough along in the continuum toward a more adaptable and flexible. Uh, Provider space. I don't know what you guys have seen there, but that's something that uh, I think moving forward, that that healthcare is going to view differently than they have in the past. Yeah, Go we ahead, certainly.
2: Jay. Well, you know, so we're starting like a lot of places are hospital at home um, pilot, and you know, if, if you talk to the, the one of the vendors in that space, I mean, their vision for the hospital in the future is it's just going to be a command center running uh all these hospital at homes you know these ice promote icu's at patient's housing uh houses and maybe we'll just have uh you know just a an or or two in the hospital where you can get that stuff done that you can't do externally i don't think we're quite there yet um that's almost to me like the autonomous car that uh hf is going to be driving pretty soon but <laughs> yeah, I, was,
1: I hope so. i think he that already has that a car lot. actually yeah that, that car drives a lot better than i do to be honest with you uh Charles, you know, you talk about you. You mentioned the, the patient experience, and, and and that you know, it sounds like you know, Presgany's objective, and when you guys are, are consulting with 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 hospitals and health systems, is to do to improve the the patient experience, all facets of that experience, and I'd, I'd like you to comment on how the patient experience connects to quality and, and because as, as a physician and, and as a surgeon it took me a, a a long time to really accept the fact that that quality and patient experience are tied together you know i used to i'll be honest with you i used to just blow off the the hcap scores and the press gaining. well you know the patient's food's cold, or, or the patient's complaining about the hospital being too loud, or whatnot. And and I never, you know, this this podcast is called connecting the dots, and I, I never connected the dots between between the experience that the patient has. And and like you said, you, you said a patient doesn't necessarily have to be happy uh, because you know patients normally aren't happy to be in the hospital, but but that overall patient experience in, in, in the the connection to the quality care that they receive. Can you talk about that a little bit?
3: Oh, absolutely. And by the way, there's a certain amount of inherent suffering that's associated with just being a patient. So that's why I think in many cases that the patient's never gonna be truly happy, but it's that avoidable suffering that we inflict upon patients that we can prevent. And I think in many cases, that's would fall into the camp of poor quality, and, and even more importantly, you know, patient safety. And so, one thing that we have the luxury of at Prescany, with I think you know going on, you know, two billion uh, two billion uh, patient experiences uh, over our thirty-plus year history, is in running the relationship between safety and quality. It's one of the highest uh, correlations between those things and the patient experience. So, if you if you think about it, if, if you have if you have poor quality as a patient or you experience harm it's almost impossible to do anything else to make that a good patient experience. So in our opinion, that should be at the forefront of your patient experience work is to, to make it a safe work environment, to make it a safe patient experience. You know, another thing that's interesting is the data reveals that one of the biggest drivers of workforce engagement is that the workforce views, the organization that they're working with has a commitment to patient safety. And we also know that workforce engagement has a strong relationship to patient experience. So when you think about connecting the dots, all of these things are interdependent. And so you you can't separate one from the other, and that's why we've diversified in how we do our work versus just a focus on patient satisfaction. We understand that you have to focus on all of these elements, all of these variables, otherwise you're never gonna truly impact the patient experience.
1: Oh yeah, and you know, Paul O'Neill has been mentioned on this podcast many times. And 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 when he was with Alcoa, he focused almost solely on on safety, and he required his VPS or whatnot to report a safety event to him within 24 hours. And and he, uh, when I read read his book of of lectures or speeches that he gave, that's he a great that,
3: great book, bu- a uh, great it, uh, output there, a great great material. Better. It
1: is, and he said that, well, if those VPs are having to report to me within 24 hours, not only are they going to know what's going on in the safety world at their plant, but they're also going to know what's going on in general. And, and I think that's that's how it is with, with, you know, HCAPs and patient experience. You know, if if a nurse is going to communicate with the patient better or the physician is going to communicate with the patient better, I think it, You just get dragged along with providing higher quality care in general. Does that is that safe to say?
3: Yeah, it it makes perfect sense. You know, if, if you look at any system, you know, the pieces individually are important, but it's the emergent properties that come out of a system operating at its optimum. And so if you look at the optimum or the optimum output or the emergent property of all these things working together, it's the patient experience is taken to a new level. That's an emergent property out of that. Patient experience within itself is not the system or a part of it or an element. It's an emergent property of all these things operating at their full capacity. So I think we need more and more folks in healthcare to think about it like that. And also to think about the fact that you know in healthcare healthcare is unique because it's a human-based complex system it, it is not manufacturing which is more of a linear based machine based uh, system which we can learn so much from that and we can take learnings from that and take our organizations to a whole new level but when we apply the human performance aspects to that we can go way beyond anything that you could ever do with these tools in isolation and that's something that I've become a zealot and an evangelist for, is that you know, to think that you're just going to take tools and mechanisms and approaches for manufacturing and plop them down into healthcare, uh, th- that's, that's not going to happen. You, you have to consider the socio-technical aspects of it and the human performance aspects to truly take healthcare to where it could possibly be versus just where some of these mechanisms could take you along.
2: Mm. So, when you got your PhD from from UAB, you were. I guess studying the process improvement methodologies and their impact on on patient satisfaction scores. Can you tell us a little bit about that that work and and what you found?
3: Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, So I'm 1 of these folks that started the, the, the doctorate program with a topic in mind. Obviously, as you learn more along the way and 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 how research works you obviously have to tweak it a little bit you have to have a theoretical framework of course uh which for a pragmatist like me that's not the easiest thing to do but i was uh, able to to get and work my way through that yeah in 2017 uh you know i conducted some research that i was seeking the relationship between various improvement methods and patient experience But I soon discovered that lean was the predominant approach being used. Thus, I diverted my my topic toward the relationship of lean methods and patient experience outcomes. So it was really interesting. I I did a survey of about 2,100 hospitals throughout the U.S., took out some of the government-owned hospitals, VA hospitals, that type thing. I had a good representation of hospitals from academic medical centers from for-profits non-profit systems pro- uh, systems and hospitals of all shapes and sizes in the end i had a good representation of of the the demogra or the demographics of hospitals uh, throughout the u.s at the end of the day i wanted to understand the depth and breadth of implementation of these methodologies and the impact that it had upon uh, patient satisfaction so in the end you know I under I, uh, you know and like i said earlier you know i discovered that 80% of the hospitals had said that they had adapted some some portion of lean so i'm like okay what does that mean but i asked the question in a very simple way to see what that really meant because when i dug into the next level of the research i started to understand it implementing lean means a whole lot of different things to a whole lot of different people and so it, it also became clear that that is a pretty shallow definition to many people in the market. Actually, about eighty percent of them as well. <laughs> um, but I wanted to know the depth of training, that that what you know the use of tools that they were using. Uh, you know, did they have any type of strategy deployment? You know, did they have a, you know, a true north that they associated their improvement with? Uh, what level of organizational development did they have in place? Did they apply this beyond the clinical departments and into the support departments? At the end of the day, what I discovered is that there is a statistical significance and a positive relationship between the use of some form of lean, regardless of how you defined it, uh, and outcomes. But it varied based upon the depth of the implementation. What I also discovered is the, that that so few, maybe fifteen percent, had actually. Implemented all the concepts of, of, of putting a true system in place had organizational development and training uh, around their lean implementation. Had actually uh, some daily management system in place and had done that in more than 50% of their departments uh, within uh, within the facility and. Only about 15% had even met the fifteen percent 50% mark of that. So it tells you that this is still in its infancy as it relates to implementing a complete system, because the operating system pieces of this is what really interests me. And I truly think that's the secret sauce of moving the needle is having that complete, comprehensive operating system in place. That's where the true change happens, but also where sustainability happens. And then now I'm even more passionate about implementing high reliability methods And approaches and skills into that operating system because healthcare is different and that's where the human performance and complex systems piece comes into play so at the end of the day proved the statistical significance in a positive way that these tools help but i also saw how shallow it is in other in in most of the organizations throughout the u.s one thing that was really revealing the 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 one variable that i tested that was the most statistically significant was organizations that uh, had a coach assigned uh, to their departments actually was also statistical significance but they had a 17 percentile difference
0: mm-hmm.
3: in hcaps versus those that didn't have a coach assigned to them so the most important factor was having a coach assigned uh, to your leaders throughout the organization. And I think that comes down to accountability, quite frankly, yeah. and also that need to continually learn. So if I had any advice for the listeners is that if you really want to maximize your improvement programs, it, it has to be part of a system. But then even more importantly, you need a coach assigned to your leaders throughout the organization. And with that in place, you this, statistically, it proves that you perform at a much higher level than than those that don't have one so so no, hopefully I really answered your question yeah no uh,
2: i was gonna yeah. uh, you know follow up and ask if those organizations that had a deeper implementation had better results
3: they did they had a statistically significant better i i, I can't recall because uh, again this is you know four years plus years ago but uh yeah. it was significant i think it was in the 10 to 12 percentile Range, the problem was, is there were so few that actually implemented it at a deep level mm. that the, the sample size, although it was, you know, it was relevant. And, and met the requirements to be significant it. It, in my opinion, uh, wasn't a good representation to 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 truly grasp the impact. So. I think the first step is that you know, we, need to, we need to further, further carry along the, the overall system in our organizations and, and get away from the tools age. I think a lot of folks are stuck in the tools age of this work, and they've not allowed it to evolve or invested in, in it being uh, something that can evolve within their organizations to the extent where they can maximize their investment in this work.
1: Skip, it sounds like you need to uh, put in for uh, a lot more FTEs to uh, have a lot, you know, to have a lot more coaches. Yeah,
3: you, you can no pay idea. me later, Skip. Uh, you, can, uh, you, can, you can send me a check after the podcast here, pal. <laughs> you
0: know, Charles, Charles has asked me many times uh, about that himself. You know, one thing uh, to build on something that a lot of you said, and Charles said, you know, um, is I, I think, you know, 1 of the things that we have to continue to evolve is thinking deeper about a management system. So, I'll I'll meet people. I know Charles and I, uh, we were in Denver once talking to someone and and I've met people all across the country. And they'll say, I, we have a safety huddle, you know, and uh, and so when you engage in that conversation, just use that as an example. That's great that you have a safety huddle. So the next question might be, so how's it working, you know? And how do you know if it's working good, or how do you know if it's deteriorated? And I know Charles and uh, his team have done a lot of uh, work in assessing that because, you know, it's, it's just like the car. Uh, you want to know is your car performing well? Is your car deteriorating? Uh, h- how do you know if it's, you know, performing well? just because it's able to get you from point A to point B doesn't necessarily mean it's performing well. I I had a car in high school that got me from point A to point B. I just never knew if it would do it from day to day. So, uh, you know, I I think that's an important piece that I hear you also saying, Charles, is being able to assess the management system and ask the simple question, how is it working for you? Am Am I kind of
3: framing that right? Yeah, I think so. Think about also as it's given we have uh, two physicians here. I think one of the things that's really important is that we better engage our physicians in this work too. Skip, uh, you had Tejal Gandhi on, or uh, Will, and and uh, she and I spent a lot of time together. I'm, I'm I'm very fortunate. I get to work with Dr. Tom Lee and others on a daily basis in this work, and we talk frequently about you know what what is necessary to engage the physicians in this type of work that we're doing. And you know, one of the things that, that she and others have, have made clear to me is that you, know, you, have, to, you, have, to, you have to engage them in, in what motivates them and that for most all physicians, what motivates them is providing the highest quality care possible. Very few physicians that I've worked with in this work are highly motivated by the efficiency aspects of this work. Uh, You can get the physicians engaged and excited about anything that improves safety and quality. You can get them excited about efficiency if it's going to make the patient experience better and make things easier for them to do and allow them to provide better care for their patients. But all too many times we focused our work, our daily management systems, et cetera, on those things that are primarily and predominantly efficiency oriented, and it's not something that typically is going to engage the physicians. I'd love to hear from you, Dr. Lancaster and Dr. Mason, on that, but that's something we've observed along the way.
1: Go ahead, Jake. I'll let you comment first.
3: No, I mean it's it certainly you
2: know if, if you if you talk about patient outcomes, I, I definitely think that is what grabs the the attention uh, foremost, uh, and you know, is what we're here to do. Um, you know, saving money is, is not really one that uh, really gets physicians involved. They they really, as long as, as long as the lights are on, they don't care if the hospital's making money or not. So that one's certainly not one that uh, uh, to lead with.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think you're right. Anything that we can do to make, to make the care better, to make it safer, physicians will almost a hundred percent of the time jump on board. But when, when it, when you get into the nitty-gritty about making the process more efficient, uh, you know, saving money or whatnot, yes, we, 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 you do get some pushback from us because, you know, we tend to say, or I, I, I would tend to say, well, that that's, that's, that's you guys. Just let, let me take care of the patient and, and you guys, y'all fix all the processes, y'all, y'all make things more efficient, but, you know, and, and, you know, talking about secret sauce, that's the secret sauce is trying to, you know, how do we engage those physicians? And, you know, it it might be something like, what if we could do something, or what if you could help us do something that's going to give you back an hour of your time every day? And at the same time, it's going to improve the patient experience. It's going to, it's not going to, it's not going to take away from the, 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 quality of care that the patient is going to get, but it's going to let you get home to your family or get, get you out on center hill lake or whatever, you know, uh, you know, quicker. And, uh, I think that's, that's where we have to engage the physicians.
0: Well, you know, it might be as simple as 1 of our very 1st podcasts with Dr. Steven Spear from MIT said, when he simply asked the people up there in Pittsburgh, when he was working with them, do you want to reduce the stink in your day? I really like that approach, right? Yeah, how
1: much stink, uh, what's bugging you, or how much stink do you have? Oh, Jake, uh, while I mention it, uh, speaking of cars, ask me how much a a gallon of gas costs in New Albany, Mississippi. Oh, I don't want to know. I saw
2: you out there with your trash can (laughs) filling up with gasoline. Well, I was going to
1: tell you I have no idea.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it looks like we're coming to uh, come, coming come near the end. And Charles, I, I love talking to you. I know most of the time I'm driving down the road, and, and you're dri- driving down the road when, when we call each other. And I don't know if you're going to be in Saudi Arabia or some part of the United States helping someone, but I'm so incredibly appreciative uh, of your friendship, and you've taught me a tremendous amount. Uh, Charles, I hope that you'll come back on the podcast again, because it didn't feel like this... Uh, 30 minutes was enough, but uh, I just want to, on behalf of us and Baptists, just to say thank you so much for for coming on the podcast today.
3: Thanks. It was a real pleasure. And, yeah, we solved the world's problems, Skip, uh, somewhere on Interstate 40, either on my end of the state or yours. Although uh, we've got quite a problem on Interstate 40, it sounds like, right at the state line <laughs> at the moment. So That's we right. Really takes all, take all of our, our minds and everyone involved in this pod podcast to solve that problem yeah
0: we, we've got a little issue with the bridge
3: <laughs> yeah Sunday. yeah why well, what an absolute pleasure to spend some time with you guys and i'm looking forward to, to continuing to, to listen to these great these great productions you guys do a fabulous job uh, with these and i think it's providing a great service to our community and healthcare. so thank you for that and hey, thank you charles, charles.
2: Yeah, I really uh, like the sound editor for the podcast. I think he does a great job.
3: Oh,
0: he's an amazing, (laughs) uh, amazing individual. Uh, I can't speak highly enough of him.
3: He's humble, too, I guess, right? He is. All right. That's awesome. All right. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. All right. Bye. Bye.